Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. I work at Texas Public Radio in San Antonio, where we sometimes characterize what NPR does as the nation's biggest continuing education course. That's why I'm excited to be introducing this series featuring faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. Today, you'll enjoy a conversation on the book Intangibles, The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Leaders by Dr. Amar Kaisi, Professor of Healthcare Administration at Trinity University. When they ask the followers, what do you seek from your leader? Repeatedly, compassion comes at the top. You know, they say other stuff like trust, stability, and hope, but compassion is always there in terms of what followers seek from their leaders. This is the second of a three-part podcast conversation. Today's focus is on compassion and kindness. Joining in the conversation with Professor Kaisi is current student Janie Thompson, class of 2018 and 2020. We know you have an interest in humility, but how did you get interested in writing about compassion and empathy? Yeah, well, you know, as, as you know, we're, we're in healthcare, right? You know, you're, you're going to be a healthcare leader very soon, and I teach in healthcare administration. And, and healthcare is the business of compassion. It's the business of kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the research done recently um, that asked patients about the importance of kindness when they're choosing a doctor showed that the majority of patients say that kindness is the most important factor when choosing a doctor. Um, you know, they, they ask patients, what do you do if you are treated unkindly? Mm-hmm. And 90% of patients say they would switch doctors if treated unkindly. Wow. Not only that, I mean, people are willing to pay more for a kinder doctor. They're willing to travel farther for a kinder doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel in healthcare, we have done a really good job of um, focusing on treating the patient with compassion and with kindness. Mm-hmm. Now, where I feel that we have a lot of room for improvement is um, in terms of how we treat each other, whether in healthcare or in other types of organizations. So let, let me share some, some um, research results also about disrespectful behaviors in healthcare. Um, so an organization asked um, healthcare employees and managers and doctors um, whether they have witnessed any disrespectful behavior in the last year. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me tell you what the results were. Okay. You know, 73, 73% said they witnessed negative comments in their organization. Um, 68% said they witnessed condescending comments and insults from others. Wow. Um, a lot of people were, have witnessed others hanging up the phone on them. Um, about 46% said they were shamed or humiliated at least once in the last year. It gets wow. worse. The 18% said there were th- objects thrown at them. Oh my and, God. and 7% talked about physical abuse within the healthcare team. So, you know, th- this is within healthcare, but we have evidence that, you know, kindness and compassion within the team itself and how people treat each other is probably not there or, or needs a lot of work. Now, at a more general level, do you, do you remember last year, the whole United Airlines yes. incident with the, with the passenger being, you know, mm-hmm. dragged out? Um, if you remember afterwards, the, the CEO of United was severely criticized because of the lack of empathy that he showed um, when when he supposedly apologized for the mistake. Um, another example from from Uber, right? Remember Uber CEO Travis Kalanick? You know mm-hmm. he was fired because a lot of people said that you know he was toxic or and, and he didn't um, treat his employees, his drivers, as well as the customers. He didn't care about them, stuff like that. So um, you know I, I got interested in that because of all of these evidence that maybe within teams within organizations, 
we are not focusing on treating each other in a compassionate mm-hmm. and a kind way. So when you're trying to establish yourself in a workplace, um, trying to get a feel for the culture, what does it really mean to be compassionate at work? Because that can sometimes be a hard balance. Yeah, yeah. You, you, know, you know, compassion is typically a term that we think about when others are suffering, right? Right. And, and to, to bring that to the workplace and to think about it in a workplace setting, compassion operates at, at three different levels. First, you know, at the cognitive level, when you're compassionate, you tell the other person, you tell you tell the other person, "I understand you." Mm-hmm. At the emotional level, you tell them, "I feel for you," and then at the behavioral level, you tell them, "I want to help you." Um, so, you know, coworkers can can display that with each other. Mm-hmm. Supervisors can display that with their their, their subordinates. Um, there's a variety of different ways where we can show compassion to each other at work. So, would you say that compassion is something that's a natural human trait, or uh, are we generally more self-centered, selfie-taking beings? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, you know, w- again, let's let's go back to the research. I, I like to see what the research says because because mm-hmm. there are a lot of opinions on both sides here um, right. that say we are compassionate or we're selfish and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So l- let me share some research with you. And, and this research comes from the uh, unlikeliest of places. So they they did research on cute creatures called the capuchin monkeys, all right? <laughs> they're, they're very cute monkeys that are very smart, and, and they study them, obviously, because their behavior is very similar to human beings. Mm-hmm. So, so in one set of experiments, what they did is they brought two monkeys and put them together in the cage. Um, in the first scenario, um, they give the first monkey some food, and in that first scenario, the, the second monkey hasn't eaten yet, and the first monkey knows that. In the second scenario, they also give the first monkey some food, but the monkey has seen the other monkey eating, okay? So repeatedly and consistently, the monkey will share its food with the other monkey if the other monkey hasn't eaten yet, all right? Mm-hmm. If it has seen the other monkey eating, it doesn't share its food because it knows the other monkey is full. So, you know, a, a very, very simple example that shows us that at a very basic level, primates, mammals in general, which includes human beings, right. have this ability to be compassionate with others, especially when you're not competing for resources, okay? Um, Now, what about human beings, right? Let's bring this back to human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, There is evidence now, there's scientific evidence now that that shows us that perhaps as human beings, we are pre-wired biologically to be compassionate. So how how do we know that? You know, in in the human body, um, there's something called the vagus nerve. Did did you come across that in your studies? Yes, yeah. Yeah, the vagus nerve is, is a nerve that originates in the top of the spinal cord and and connects down the internal organs in the body. Now, the vagus nerve, some scientists are saying, is is the nerve that is responsible for compassion. And and the way they they know that is they brought a group of undergraduate students at at UC Berkeley and they attached electrodes to their chests. And they showed them pictures that um, elicit compassion versus pictures that elicit pride. For example, they showed them pictures of infants in distress and, and, you know, torture and stuff like that. They also show them pictures of the university football team and the mm-hmm. mascot, you know, things that, that elicit pride. And when they showed them the first set of pictures, um, the ones that, that um, you know, um, induce compassion, their vagus nerve lit up. When they showed them the other set of pictures that elicit pride, the vagus nerve did not light up. So that, that tells us that perhaps at, at a very basic biological level, mm-hmm. we as a human being are pre-wired to be compassionate and, and to feel for other people. So does this compassionate component of humans lead to a higher performance in leadership? Is it something that leaders should be trying to develop and draw on? 
to be yeah. better leaders? Yeah, that you know, again, let's let's go back to the evidence, right? Um, mm-hmm. This has been one of the themes I hope of of um, our our talk with each other today. What, what does the leadership say? So you know, Gallup, the the research and performance management consulting company, has, has been collecting data on leadership strength for for about thirty years. They mm-hmm. interviewed thousands of leaders and followers, and every year when they do the research, and this is in all different industries, when they ask the followers, what do you seek from your leader? Repeatedly, compassion comes at the top. You know, they say other stuff like trust, stability, and hope, but compassion is mm-hmm. always there in terms of what followers seek from their leaders. They also ask the followers whether they, they agree with this statement. You know, my supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person, right? This is a typical question asked on employee engagement surveys. Do you agree with that statement or not? Those followers that agree with that statement the studies show are more likely to stay in the organization, have more engaged customers, are more productive, and generate more profits for their organizations. So when you feel that someone at work, whether it's your supervisor or someone else, cares about you and shows you compassion, you are less likely to leave, you have more engaged customers, you produce more, and you generate more financially. So here again, when it comes to compassion, just like we saw with humility, it's not just about a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not about you know right. this this touchy feely stuff. It's really mm-hmm. about um, things that can produce important outcomes for mm-hmm. organizations and give them a competitive advantage. Um, as I mentioned, we did research in healthcare um, and we asked people um, about the traits of um, you know success, least successful um, leaders. We also asked them about the most successful leaders. What what traits describe them? And what they said was. The top five traits for, for the most successful leader that they've ever worked with are accountable, collaborative, holds others accountable, calm, and compassionate. So, so as you can see, like a picture is starting to emerge here where right. the most successful leaders are those that are able to combine collaboration and compassion with accountability, with holding others accountable. Mm-hmm. So we know compassion is important and important to employees and leaders. Um, so how does then kindness relate to compassion and kind of fit into this equation of a great leader? Yeah, you know, compassion and kindness are, are very interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I think about it is, is compassion is a prerequisite for kindness or, mm-hmm. or, or kindness is, is compassion in action, right? right. Um, and, and so, you know, you need to have compassion first and then behaviorally you show it through kindness. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that if you are kind, then you may end up being taken advantage of. So I'm wondering what opinions you have on this and how this plays out kind of in the workplace especially. Yeah, you're right. You know, we have a, an issue in society in general these days as well as in organizations where most of us sometimes don't allow ourselves to be kind for fear of being taken advantage mm-hmm. of. You know, we, we may see the kind as someone who is touchy-feely or weak mm-hmm. or, or maybe, you know, don't like, confrontation or, or are not competitive or are not accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. And, and there definitely are some examples of people who are only nice. You know, that's only the only thing they do is they're nice, but right. they're not competent or they, they don't um, produce results. But I would argue that this is a very small minority. What we're talking about here in combining um, compassion and kindness with accountability is, is to really have people that lead with kindness, that, that value their employees, that give honest feedback, they encourage their employees' individual growth, they, they communicate their expectations, they act fairly and firmly. So all of these things together um, produce high performance in organizations. 
Hello, this is Danny Anderson, President of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to our conversation with Dr. Amar Kaisi and Janie Thompson on compassion and kindness. So if you're on a team or a part of a group or within an organization, why is it so important to behave kindly? And is there evidence that has shown that it really does matter to be kind to everyone else on your team? Right, right. So, so you know, let, let's start with teams, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, l- let me ask you a question. How, <laughs> how did you react when, when you had a coach that yelled and screamed all the way when you played soccer at Trinity? <laughs> Well, when I was on the field, I had to take note of what was going on, you know, process that and talk to him afterwards. But for me, I think his kindness was displayed more in how he cared about me as a person. And, you know, from playing sports for my whole life, I know that sometimes kindness is displayed through correction. Um, although I may not have appreciated the delivery, I always accepted the message. Right, right. And, and, and you're <laughs> right, you know, that we... Even in, in, you know, among athletes, you need some level of kindness. Yeah, you need a coach that holds you accountable, but, but there, needs, there needs to be a kindness. And, and a lot of people mm-hmm. may, may you know, mistakenly assume that it's the yellers and screamers that get results because there are some examples of that. But I, I would argue that you can only get results in the short term by yelling right. and screaming. In the long term, you, you have to show more of the um, you know, compassion and kind approach. Uh, and there are studies that support that. And they did a study of, of student athletes, um, you know, undergrads, and they ask them, um, you know, they, they expose them to verbally aggressive coaches, like coaches that um, use profanity, that scream, that use condescending language with them, and they, they ask the athletes to rate the coach. And and what they, they found out is that the athletes perceived the coach as less competent and less trustworthy when, when the coach was verbally aggressive. However, and, and they also had lower motivation as athletes. Mm. Now, of course, you know, a little bit of yelling sometimes in sports yeah. work, especially when the team is down and, right. and you need, you know, that the coach feels that the, the athletes are not putting in the effort. But but the evidence shows that this is only effective when the coach does it very, very unfrequently, mm-hmm. very rarely, right? Mm-hmm. If you are mad all the time, if you are yelling all the time, mm-hmm. it, it gets old and, and the mm-hmm. athletes don't react well to it. Which is how I also feel about parents. <laughs> That's a good one. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so what about for your own career? Um, does being kind really help me or anyone to advance or could it potentially also impede me? Yeah, yeah. Let, you know, I'll, I'll get to your own career first, but let me, let me talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of kindness, but about combining that with, with um, you know, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, so the evidence shows us that it's not enough to be kind, all right? Yes, have uh, you know, kindness leads to better outcomes, but but you have to combine it with other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, you, they did a study among thousands of employees working for for thousands of leaders at hun- hundreds of companies all over the world, and they asked the employees to rate whether their boss was tough or nice. So a tough boss is someone that establishes high standards, gets people to stretch for for goals, or keeps them focused on their goals. So that's a tough boss. A nice boss is someone that stays in touch with you, 
gives you honest but helpful feedback, mm-hmm. develops you, maintains your trust, stuff like that. And they wanted to see which type of boss leads to the most highly engaged employees. So here are the results of, of that study. The, the, those um, um, bosses that were tough, only 8.9% of their employees were highly engaged. Those bosses that are nice, mm-hmm. only 6.7% of their employees <laughs> were highly engaged. So what, what approach leads to the, high, the, mo, the, mo, the higher, highest engaged employees? <laughs> um, it's those bosses that combine both being tough and nice. So you have to be both accountable, hold others accountable, and connect with them at a personal level. Um, now, now let's go back to your question. So we, we, mm-hmm. we, we've you know, established that being kind and accountable leads to high performance um, for organizations, but what about for our careers? Mm-hmm. They did a study of international MBAs in which they asked people to compare those that are kind versus those that are rude, okay? So compared to rude people, those that are seen as kind by their peers were twice as likely to be viewed as leaders people were more willing to share information with them. And you know how important it is to share information in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And they were also more likely to be recommended for a job by their peers. So as we can see, being kind can help your career when others perceive you as a leader, when they're willing to share more information with you and when they are more likely to recommend you for a job. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when you're on a team or within a group, you don't have a lot of authority and you start out having, you know, little to no authority. And in these situations, I'm wondering if kindness is still helpful. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great question. And here again, I, I have another book recommendation. There, there's a great book written by, by a senior pastor called Clay Scroggins. The book is called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. <laughs> and, and one of the points that he makes in the book is that kindness is especially effective in influencing others to produce re- results when we have no authority over them. You know, like if you hold a gun to someone's head, they're going to do what you want them to do. Okay. <laughs> But the minute you remove that gun, they're just going to do whatever they want. Right. Um, whereas when you're you're leading them with kindness, even if mm-hmm. you're not there, they're still going to do the the behaviors that that lead to um, organizational results. Um, here again, there there is a really cool study that they did among undergraduate students, and and, and <laughs> this is a um, an interesting study. So they brought a group of undergraduate students, okay, and they told them that they were doing a taste test, and they mm-hmm. put chocolate chip cookies on the table. Really warm chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> smell really good. The first group of participants were asked very nicely not to eat the cookies. So the, the, you know, the, the study organizer said, you know, we really appreciate if you don't eat the cookies, we value your time, mm-hmm. um, please provide us with feedback and so on and so forth. The second group of students were asked very rudely not to eat the cookies. You know, the minute they came in, they were, the, the people were like, absolutely, you can't get next to the cookies. If you, if you, you know, look at the cookies, you're going to be disqualified. <laughs> so they, they really yelled at them and treated them badly. Mm-hmm. And then the um, organizers left the room, okay? Mm-hmm. Neither group ate the cookies, okay? So you leave the students with the cookies. One were treated kindly, one were not treated kindly. Neither group ate the cookies. So yelling works in the short term. Mm-hmm. But listen to this. Then they asked the participants from both groups to take a self-control test where they had to punch in numbers after they saw them flash on the computer screen. The first group that was treated well dramatically outperformed the other group. So the, the moral of this is, is people will listen to you when you yell at them. But if you treat them well, they're going to have much more self-control and they're able to perform better in the long term. 
Thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the first Tuesday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest topics for future consideration, email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.